The one thing that I believe would work everywhere is fighting. Because it doesn't matter what color you are, what country you come from, or what language you speak. We're all human beings and fighting's in our DNA, man. We get it and we like it. Let's start off. Let's recap. Let's just do a, a quick canter through Fight Night 157. Now, a lot of people, including myself, um, I've got to, you know, put my hand firmly up in the in the camp of Jessica Andrade. I expected her to go in there and to blitz and basically to make light work of um, really? Zhang Wiley. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, you know, just whilst we're on uh, Zhang Wiley, a lot of people have been calling her Wiley Zhang. Um, I actually looked this up because, you know, there, there did seem to be a mixture in terms of tweets. People were calling her Wiley Zhang. People were calling yeah. her Zhang Wiley. That people would be um, me. You actually, <laughs> I call her Wiley well, Zhang. You, well, you know something? I, I learned that you actually say um, the surname uh, first before the first name. Well, um, oh. So it's surname first and uh, first name last. It's uh, Zhang Wali. But anyway, going back to Zhang Wali, no one, I, I don't care, unless, you know, you're G from Woe TV, <laughs> a lot of people online were saying, yeah, 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 I, I, I knew this. Uh, I knew this was actually going to be forthcoming. Um, I did not see that coming. And it was shocking. That Thai plum clinch... Those strikes, those elbows were vicious, ferocious. I mean, seeing as though you actually called it, you had uh, Zhang Wiley actually winning. What was it that gave you that foresight? What was it that gave you that uh, mystic, uh, well, um, Nostradamus moment? (laughs) Well, I will admit that I thought... um Zhang Wiley, say it correctly now, Zhang Wiley was going to win, but I did not anticipate a KO in 42 seconds. That I did not see. I thought maybe she was good. I just thought she was the better fighter. And when I watched old footage of her, then I looked at her record, I was just like, I think Jessica's in trouble here because Jessica is a great fighter, but she also has very obvious holes and flaws in her game. She comes forward each and every fight. Yes, she can slam you. Yes, she throws these hard hooks, but people like JJ, Joanna, they have exposed the fact that footwork works against Jessica Andrade, and and Rose showed us the same thing. It's all about the footwork, and that's what Wiley Zhang, excuse me, Zhang Wiley has. She doesn't do a lot of head movement, but her footwork is on point, and if you watch the fight again, Michael, in the 42 seconds, this woman was able to just hit so many different angles, get out of the way, and counter her perfectly and beautifully. Why? Because of footwork, and that always works against Jessica Andrade, because she comes forward and does the same thing, and she hits hard, and yes, she can slam you, but you can figure her out. And I'm pretty sure that Zhang Wiley did her homework. And then she's already really good at moving. And then she's strong as fuck. I just had a feeling she was just going to handle her business. I just didn't expect it in 42 seconds. I was shocked. Wow. I was shocked. I, well. Yeah. Go ahead. No, I was about to say, well done you then. Because um, there are very few people like yourself who were going with Zhang Wiley. And... Uh, you know, the majority of people like myself, considering, you know, um, Jessica Andrade's striking prowess. Yeah, she's Given good. the caliber, given the mm-hmm. fact that, you know, she is a phenomenal uh, athlete. Absolutely. I, I don't think many people um, were with you when oh, you know, no. they were actually picking the fight. And she also has Jessica Andrade, I mean, has the best KO in that division. You know, she knocked out Carolina, um, I call her KK, can't say the last name, but Carolina, the um, young lady from Poland, she knocked her out brut- brutally and knocked that mouthpiece right out her mouth. And, you know, it's, it's, it's biased. We know Jessica, we're familiar with her, we know how she fights, and she's really good. Like, she is top five, she's elite. And she was, she's also the champion. She slammed Doug Rose. So she's, she's pretty legit, so I don't have a problem with anybody picking her. It was just that I was just concerned with Zhang's footwork is just remarkable, you know, and I just know that, like, that doesn't work for Jessica. But let me ask you a question about this fight. What do you think about the elbows that um, Zhang Wiley was able to hit her with? A lot of people online complained that those elbows were illegal. I don't agree, but I wanted to get your point of view on those elbows. 100% legal. It looked as though they were connecting at the point just below her ear and okay the the camera angle 
um, that I was actually looking for mm-hmm. because I, I, I replayed it over and over because just like yourself, I saw a lot of online chatter, a lot of yeah, I did. online um, disturbance over the fact that, you know, a lot of people did feel as though, um, you know, Jessica Andrade had been the subject to illegal elbows. But I personally thought that um, they were legal. I did too. I personally thought that they, they were precise and it looked like something that you would drill. So these weren't... Um, uh, wayward they weren't actually um what's the word i'm looking for they, they they weren't reckless right they were precise and i would say that's definitely something she would be drilling yeah and i think the elbows some of them landed on the ear which is legal i also think people need to realize too that these elbows have to be intentional that's also part of the rules that they they need to be intentional they were not intentional and when you're doing standing elbows and you're throwing them and that person moves, sometimes you hit the back of the head because that person moved and that's not your intention, so you can't be held fault for that. And if you watch the video, the ref did kind of say, hey, you know, watch it, which is part of his job. So I don't have a problem with the elbows at all. And guess who else doesn't have a problem with the elbows? Jessica Andrade has not publicly stated any complaints about the elbows whatsoever. And she's not, um, I haven't heard that she's going to appeal the fight either. So it's just... And what I- liked about Jessica Andrade as well the, the way in which she lost that was just like textbook how you actually take a loss you know respect um your fellow opponent because you know th- there wasn't any protestation that she could have um you know uh try and like wrangled out of it by saying it was illegal no they, they just it just seemed like there was like utmost respect and I like the way in which you know she was congratulatory um, after the fight yeah. as well and th- there wasn't any grimacing there wasn't any storming off uh, I, I I like the way she handled her loss that was like you know that's that's how a champion right. should actually it's, react it's a, and that's how a champion should act absolutely it was a champion's reaction to a loss and I have a lot of res- mm. I have a lot of respect for her and she's already talking about a rematch which I don't agree with just yet I think um, Jessica Andrade needs to just maybe tweak that come forward style that can be exploited and then make her way back up with some type of new style where she's maybe picking her shots more but still landing with power. I think once she keeps coming forward, they're, they're, it's a recipe to beat her, and she's got to address that. And once she does that, she'll be back on top again. She'll be a monster, I think. Un- unless it was actually written into her contract that she would get a direct rematch. Mm-hmm. Um, I wonder. I personally don't feel that it warrants one. One, no. because she was beaten in the first round. Two, it was an emphatic victory. But three, I mean, really and truly, it, it didn't actually go to decision. It's not There's as though no controversy. we saw something which was a close run yeah. thing. So where's the controversy? Mm-hmm. I personally feel as though, you know, the way in which she handled it is something that she'll bounce back from and come back stronger. I don't think that, you know, really and truly, given how swiftly she was dispatched, I don't feel it, war- it warrants an right. immediate rematch. And I also think that... Title shot or not. No, I, I totally agree with you on this one. And I also think that the UFC is go- has a new market in China. They're going to want to throw some new faces at her and, and whatnot. And I, I could honestly see them giving her the winner of JJ or... Um, Michelle Waterson, or maybe even Tatiana Suarez. You know, they're going to want to shake things up. They're going to want um, to see some new faces and people that want to see them fight um, Zhang. You know, and I, I could see the UFC taking advantage of that. I don't think they're going to want to run back Jessica Andrade right away, you know. And Zhang has um, quite a career ahead of her because, like, she just got this title shot out of nowhere, and now she has to defend it with the with the elite of the division. Everybody else kind of worked their way into title contention and then tried to, you know, either fought the champ or became the champ. She's champ right away with one fight, and then now she's got to defend her title against all the monsters out there. So it's going to be a pretty interesting career for her, and I look forward to seeing how she handles it because she, she does seem like a beast, you know? 100%. Yeah. And I have to say, it was a very calculated risk by the UFC Smart. to actually, you know, have the title shot in China. Mm-hmm. And, you know, speaking of calculated risks, I think um, that's a nice point at which to introduce this week's guest, which is Chase the Teenage Dream Hooper. How you doing, Chase? Good, just uh, enjoying the weather out here while it lasts. Summer's kind of getting ready to end. Well, uh, that, that's, that's one thing for sure. You've certainly uh, heated up 
the end of the summer. I mean, um, that is some feat actually coming into the UFC at 19 years of age, the youngest entrant to the UFC. But um, to those who are actually quite familiar with the name Chase Hooper, they would have seen you on the Dana White's Tuesday Contenders. Now, um, I think it was felt at the time by Dana White that you weren't quite ready. I mean, at that time, given how much you'd actually put in and given that, you know, to a certain extent on the regional scene, you'd paid your dues. How hard was that to actually hear that? Uh, I think everybody kind of wants to go for like the, the full contract, like the full deal like that. But um, getting the developmental deal after my fight was definitely the best, like for myself, career wise, like it gave me a little more time to work on what I needed to like fix striking wise and like getting more comfortable, getting more fights. Cause uh, after that, I only had six pro fights. Now I'm up to nine. So that definitely helped out. And then um, with the developmental stuff, I was in contact with the UFC the whole time. Um, they were helping me set up the fights, like all through fight pass. And uh, I was getting to do more media stuff. So it's getting me more used to the stuff that I'll need to do once I make my debut in the UFC. So I thought that was great. So when we talk about a developmental deal, they're actually stewarding your career into the UFC, right? Yeah, so uh, I actually had a standard UFC contract. So I was making what any standard UFC fighter would make on their first couple fights in the UFC. Um, I had access to all the UFC facilities, like the Performance Institute, um, they actually gave me a diet plan for a couple of my fights um, to make weight and everything and like rehydration stuff. Um, but we're in contact with them the whole time. Uh, right after my last fight actually was when we got offered uh, a fight in the UFC. So I've been kind of sitting on that for a while. So when you say we, I, I take it you've got management. Who are you represented by at the moment? Uh, right now, it's just uh, me and my coach who are doing like all the paperwork stuff and uh, it's worked out great. I mean, the UFC likes me, so I don't think right now I need to do too much to stand out. Um, it seems like they want to, they want me to do well. So I don't think I quite need a management team yet. Okay. I mean, just looking at your background, it seems, um, well, from the digging I've done so far, it seems pretty clean cut you seem to have had uh, a pretty decent upbringing it looks as though you stayed clear of trouble I mean have I missed anything in um, actually doing the background check on Chase Hooper uh no I uh no it's pretty standard like I just kind of focused on training I spent my whole childhood pretty much just in the gym and uh yeah it just got me here just staying on the straight and narrow and kind of focusing on uh, what I wanted to do. You see, that was one of the things that kind of intrigued me. I mean, obviously, at your young age, um, usually, you know, young adults of your age are out partying, getting wild. So what actually kept you focused? What kept you on the straight and narrow? What kept you, well, what kept your eyes on the prize, as it were? Uh, I didn't have too much confidence, so I didn't really feel confidence with uh going out and partying so i just kind of you know stayed where i felt comfortable and that was the gym and uh i kept doing well as far as like tournaments and stuff for grappling and like uh smokers so it just kind of made me want to keep training more and then uh yeah i just kept going down that path and you know talking about that path what was it what was the catalyst what was the inspiration to actually say you know what MMA is where it's at because, you know, um, if you don't mind me saying for, again, someone of your age, um, your focus, I have to say, is one of um, the standout traits in terms of your character, but also just drawing inspiration from, you know, people around you. I'm just intrigued as to what actually led you to MMA. Uh, so... It all kind of started initially training. Like, my dad and my coach worked together. Um, it was around, the like, 2008 when there was, like, some financial trouble. Um, 
So they both got laid off from their jobs, and my coach opened his gym, and my dad uh, brought me in there. So I just started training with him, and uh, that was probably 2000, yeah, like 2008, 2009. And um, I want to say 2010, he made his debut in the UFC, and he fought in there for a couple years. So he was probably my main inspiration as far as like seeing that as being achievable with living like in a small town like I do. And um, yeah, I just kind of stuck with it. Um, my family's not super well off, so I kind of knew that college wasn't really in the question as far as that goes. And I just kind of loved uh, the sport of it. Um, and yeah, it just kind of, you know, took off from there. Okay, so your, your coach was actually in the UFC. I mean, just talk me talk, just talk me through your, your coach's journey. How did he fare? Uh, he came into the UFC a little late. And uh, the way that I see it for a lot of guys, it, it's kind of like a sink or swim if they don't really have any vested interest in you. And uh, he was kind of one of those guys where they gave him a lot of tough fights. And he... He won some, lost some, and then they kind of, like, cut him. I want to say he had, like, three or four fights in the UFC. Um, but, yeah, he, he was kind of older, and uh, he was older at the time, at least for a fighter. He was kind of in his 30s, so they weren't quite looking to keep him as an investment, so it was a little more sink or swim. But definitely it was cool to be, like, in the middle of that as a kid, like growing up, especially in a small town. Now already, I'm kind of like, uh, forgive me if I'm barking at the wrong tree here and forgive me if I've, if I've um, uh, in terms of personality traits, going down the wrong road here. But I, I already see that you look and survey the land in terms of what's gone on before and you look to either do better or to avoid the pitfalls. The nearest reference I've got to you would be someone like a Sage Northcutt who you know was picked up quite early was picked up basically um, and seen as uh, for, for want of a better word a prospect a golden child in terms of the UFC in terms of his journey um, I'm not saying that there are definite parallels between yours and his only in terms of the young age in which he entered the UFC but in terms of his journey what do you think that you've learned just observing what he's gone through I think he, uh, I think he kind of got pushed too hard too quick. Um, he maybe took some fights that he wasn't quite ready for, and uh, that's kind of why he only had a couple years. Um, I think what would be best for my career was be would be to like go slow, not necessarily try to fight top ten guys right off the bat. Um, like start slow, work my way up kind of um just like a slow journey through the division just taking out all these guys and then continually uh upping my skill set like my maturity uh physical maturity more and just like kind of getting me ready to have those harder fights because if you jump into the top 10 all these guys have like 20 30 fights and i have you know almost 10 Which kind of like leads us neatly into December 14th when you'll be making your proper UFC debut on UFC 245, right? Yep. Now, in making that debut, um, first of all, have you been given a name? And um, more importantly, um, you know, what challenges do you feel as though you'll be stepping into the cage when you actually meet this person? Uh, I do have the name. They kind of don't want, they want to be the ones to announce it. Um, but he's more of a striker. He's a shorter guy for the division. So it'll be good for me to see if I can work my reach against him. Um, he's more of a stand up guy. So I'm gonna, uh, use my grappling to get him to the ground, use my striking to keep him uncomfortable and, uh, try to submit him or TKL him, whatever, whatever comes first. I'm definitely a grappler. So if he like, comes into the fight expecting something else like he's you know not done his research right so it should be kind of pretty apparent what i'm gonna go out there and try to do just like i know he's a striker so he's gonna try to knock my head off i mean you know 
Now, when you say, um, obviously, I'm not asking you to name the opponent, but is it someone that we would have all heard of? Or is this, again, a newcomer just like yourself um, in terms of like developmental um, prowess and steps forward in the UFC? Um, is this someone that we've heard of before? Or is this someone completely new to the UFC? Uh, I want to say that he's like two and one in the UFC. Or, uh, I'm sorry, one and two in the UFC. So he's had some fights, but uh, he's like won some, lost some. So a good like starter guy for me. Fantastic. So I- I'm just curious. You've obviously been surveying the land. You know exactly um, what your path is going to be, but you must have picked out some, um, well, routes to where you actually want to get to. And I take it, obviously, one day that's the belt. But you've obviously got your eye on some uh, key individuals. Do you want to um, name drop a few of those people who you feel would be a really good matchup? Not now, obviously, uh, but in the near future. Uh, we're actually getting ready to like sit down and kind of look at the division as a whole to kind of do something like that where we can kind of pick out guys that we want. Um, but I guess... The basic template would be either guys that are like mainly strikers with not a lot of ground or other guys that are mainly ground. Uh, I'd like to either show that I'm a much better grappler than everybody else or just use my grappling to take care of everybody else's striking. Just kind of more the people that aren't as well-rounded or aren't just going to wrestle and like sit there and like hit. Um, cause those guys are more, uh, in for boring fights. I want like fun fights. Fantastic. Just before you go, I- I'm intrigued as to your take on obviously this weekend's action. I'm just intrigued as to who you've got between Khabib Namegamadov and Dustin Poirier. Who are you picking? Uh, I think the safe bet would be Khabib. But I'm gonna I'm gonna hope that you know as an American that Poirier will pull it off. Just gonna have a little bit a little bit of bias there. Um, I think that'd be cool. Um, I got excited to hear such a uh, a young person be this dedicated to his craft and this focused. I mean, he didn't sound like a, a teenager. And I don't care what you say. Nineteen is a teenager. I, I was once nineteen. I was young and dumb. And <laughs> Chase doesn't sound like that. You know, it sounds like he's been doing this for a very long time. So after I heard the interview, I went on YouTube and I went crazy and I watched some fights and I watched some amateur fights. These fights were so old, he looked like a baby in there. And then I didn't even know what (laughs) I'm so serious. I didn't know what organization I was watching. It looked nuts. But let me tell you something. It was impressive. This kid's a grappling ace and I'm excited for his debut. And I pray the UFC develops him properly while he's in the UFC not just you know in the developmental program now that he's in the big times I also want him to be developed in the UFC as well like don't don't put him with the sharks please you see that's why I was really keen to get his take on you know the nearest comparison I could really think of um, whilst we were speaking whilst you know I was interviewing him was Sage Northcutt and you know it was intriguing and um, it's quite telling um, in terms of how he saw himself and Sage Northcutt and Sage Northcutt's uh, very short run when you think about it in relative terms in the UFC and it looks as though he won't be repeating that. It's clear that he's got it mapped out in his head how he sees his contract playing out. It's clear that he won't be rushed. And um, again, Thank just from the hints in terms of his uh, first opponent in the UFC, I think it will be a very, very... Um, well, a slow process, a slower process than um, was afforded to Sage Northcutt anyway. I know, because when he mentioned like the, the hints about the um, the opponent, I immediately went into the rankings, yeah. rankings and tried to, <laughs> I tried to figure it out who it was, but I couldn't figure it out. But what I will tell you is that I did watch an amateur fight with him. And I'm not a jiu-jitsu practitioner, but I've watched a lot of jiu-jitsu. And he pulled off something called like the pendulum type of a pendulum sweep in one of his amateur fights. And that's basically like he um, 
swept somebody with one leg without a gi on, which was so impressive to me. Thank you. Which was so impressive to get the kids back and then put him to sleep with a rear naked choke. And this, and the, I recognized it right away. It's hard for me to articulate it because I don't train in it. But when I'm watching it, I can see it. You know what I mean? So I wish I could articulate it better. But I, I was like, Oh my God, he's like 16 pulling off a pendulum sweep. And anyone that listens to jujitsu, any, any of our listeners, they, they know what this is. And it's, it's quite impressive for someone to pull that off so young. And I'm like, he's a baby doing a sweep like this. My God. And then he goes in the developmental, um, you know, the program in the UFC. Mm. And he, are, and then he, the difference between him and Sage is that I feel like, He's a grappling ace, but he's also been working on his striking and his stand-up. I just feel like Sage kind of showed up with not with no grappling in his back pocket. You know, like he didn't work on it enough. And I feel like this kid's got the upper hand when it comes to. I don't think he's as as inexperienced as Sage Northcourt as a mixed martial artist. And and I'm, I really look forward to seeing what he can do. And I think you're right. They they sound like they're going to match him up with somebody that is on his skill level. And I look forward to that. You know, I don't want an Aaron Pico situation here. He's too young. Oh, definitely, definitely. I mean, speaking of Aaron Pico, uh, it's a nice and timely segue into Bellator two two six Beta versus Congo, which is obviously Bellator being the home now of Aaron Pico, but. Um, Beta versus Congo, I have to say, um, not only is um, the opportunity for Czech Congo to try and grab uh, Ryan Bader's uh, belt, the heavyweight belt, but it also kicks off the um, Bellator uh, lightweight Grand Prix. Now, I, I, I know there are some serious killers on this particular card, particularly, you know, Pat Curran, Manuel Sanchez. I mean, Mm. you name it, looking up and down um, the actual card. Adam Boris. Looking at those who were actually, yeah, Mm -hmm. who were participating in the actual um, Grand Prix. This is an incredible lineup. But for me, um, I'm going to be paying particular attention. Well, actually, well, firstly, to Daniel Strauss, who I really want to actually win. The, uh, the the Grand Prix only because you know when you think about it it wasn't too long ago that you know Daniel Strauss uh, was learning to walk after a, a near fatal uh, accident now when you think about what the doctor's prognosis was when he was actually um, on the road to recovery the fact that he is now in the featherweight um, sorry lightweight mm-hmm. uh, Grand Prix on his way possibly to you know, winning a million dollars, that is nothing short of a miracle. I mean, that would be a hell of a story and a fairy tale. That would be wonderful him. What a comeback story to, for a doctor to tell you never walk again. And then later on down the road, you're, you're winning a million bucks in a mixed martial arts contest. I mean, unbelievable. I'm rooting for him as well. I hope he, I like stories like that, you know, and I think it's good for business too. It's good for promotions and, um, Bellator to promote something positive as well. You don't always have to be a heel. Sometimes real life stories and comeback stories of people being injured and even Frank Mir with his motorcycle accident and people coming back and still fighting. That Those are feel-good stories, you know? Oh, 100%. And they're real. 100%. They're authentic. There's no, there's no, there's nothing to make up. There's no suits to wear. There's no magicians. There's none of that cringe crap. It's just a feel-good story. This guy fought his way back and now he's entertaining us again. I mean, if he wins, can you imagine? Awesome. It would be incredible. Yeah. I mean, talk about fairy tale ending. Yeah. And it's good for business. You can, you can, you can, I'm, I also think of the business side of like promoting things as well. And you can promote the hell out of that. People like that. People like positivity. Don't sleep, even though people like heels and, and, and Colby and stuff like that. People still like happy endings, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I did allude to the fact that there were, you know, in particular, um, two individuals that I'm going to be keeping a very close eye on. The other person being, even though he's not part of the Featherweight Grand Prix, is um, England's own uh, Ashley Grimshaw, who will be competing in the Featherweight division, but against John Macapa. Now, mm. I've got to admit, um, Ashley Grimshaw has had a rather long layoff. And I'm, I'm worried um, that this might be a little bit of a, a step up considering, you know, John, Mac- John McCapper's, um 
calibre and um, given, you know, who he's fought in the past. I mean, when you look at his record, it's almost like a who's who. I mean, he's been in there mm-hmm. um, with AJ McKee. He's been in there with Pat Curran. He's been in there oh, wow. with Daniel Weichel. Now, okay. albeit, albeit that he's come up short, mm-hmm. those are still some killers. No, it's fight actually, experience. You know, come in. Yeah. Yeah. Look at his come, record. Come in with a... 22 and 4. I'm looking at What's it. What's that? Look at his record. 22 and 4. Mm. That's not bad, Michael. Yeah. I mean, when you look at, when you look at those, uh, you know, apart from, you know, AJ McKee, who... AJ McKee Jr., who he he, um, he lost to via KO in round one. I mean, Pat Curran, you know, he took him to a decision, and that was a unanimous decision, but still took Pat Curran to a right. decision. And similarly with Daniel Weichel, he took him to uh, a split decision. Now, it, I, I have to say, as I say, mm-hmm. because of the long layoff of Ashley Grimshaw, um, I... You're nervous. Um, <laughs> I, I, I'm very, very you're, thank you. You took the word out of, out of my mouth. I, I'm nervous for Ashley Grimshaw, but you know, I'm keeping my fingers crossed that he does actually come home with the victory. Well, you know, some people are not affected by ring rust. You've, I've heard Dominic Cruz talk about this before. He came back years later and just smoked his opponent. There are some. Nate Diaz came back just recently. It's been three years. He put on an awesome performance and even had to face adversity while fighting Anthony Pettis. He came out with the W. So don't get, you know, anything can happen in this game. So I understand that you're nervous, but you, you never know um, Ashley's mindset, you know. You never know what he's getting into here. So I'm rooting for him, though. It sounds like he's a little bit of the underdog, so I'm going to go for him. <laughs> Which neatly uh, leads us on to UFC 242. I mean... Mm. Really and truly, um, this has come round very, very quickly. Khabib Nurmagomedov um, will clash Dustin Poirier in Abu Dhabi. Now, I have to admit, <sighs> you know, apart from Edson Barboza, Bo- sorry, Edson Barboza and Paul Felder, um, the rest of the main card is very much kind of like mm, meh, okay. Yeah, um, yeah, I could see that. Just. Just before we break down the main card and give our predictions, I've got my eye quite firmly fixed on a, well, a new entrant to the UFC's roster, and that's Lerone, the Miracle Murphy. Now, his backstory is one which is very, very interesting. It's quite fascinating. Um, I think it was, uh, well, several years back before he, you know, was making waves in mixed martial arts mm-hmm. he got shot in the face i think it was no. in the neck in a street altercation now albeit um the way that he describes it he was doing things that he shouldn't have been doing oh. um i should also preface this by saying that you know he's very very close friends with um kane musa um as you know mm-hmm. a, a good friend of mine and if you know kane musa's backstory you also know that you know he used to run with the street gangs right. before he was incarcerated. So I've got a feeling um, that connection runs quite deep there. But given, you know, that he, well, effectively dodged death when you think about it. I mean, right. being shot in the neck, obviously is no fun and it's a life-threatening situation to find yourself in. Um, literally, uh, the name that he's taken, The Miracle, is such an apt That's one because it is a miracle that in 2019, not only has he um, found his way to fighting in the UFC, but he's managed to actually, you know, um, well, dodge street um, activity. Oh, yeah. Then that's another, again, another story we like to hear. Who doesn't like to hear somebody that has been through it, made the wrong decisions in life, got shot in the face? Or the neck, and then comes back and gets a UFC contract, and then look at this guy's record. I mean, he has like what five wins in a row. Of course, he's um, of course he's going to the UFC. You know what I mean? He's yeah, he's five and zero, so he's uh, ready but, for but, you know. But what? What you think? But, but that's just it. Let, let's let's just you know pump the brakes ever so slightly, and um, let me not get too hyped up on Lerone Murphy. I mean, like I say, I'm, I'm pleased that he's managed to, you know dodge bullets, I mean, literally um, and figuratively right. uh, on, on the streets. But 
Um, he's in there, first of all, with Zabara Tukagov. Now, when you think about mm -hmm. it, um, this guy is no slouch. We will remember that this is the guy that Dana White said will never fight in the UFC again because of the altercation which happened a cage side. Um, oh. And indeed, in the cage, when he jumped the fence and... Uh, he went after Dylan Dennis yeah, and, and Connor. Yeah, the, 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 the fact is, you know, uh, Tukogov is um, a certified killer. Ooh. Now, no, I, no I easy fights in the UFC. Exactly, it's a baptism <laughs> of fire. Now, as I say, why I say pump the brakes? Um, when you look at the regional circuit from which you know Lerone Murphy has actually come from, mm -hmm. as much as you know, I want to get behind Lerone Murphy. It should be really noted that you know um, most of his fights has been on the smaller regional promotion and um, I think we need to you know be ever so slightly mindful of the fact that you know there is obviously a marked difference between the regional scene and winning on the regional scene and actually you know going into the UFC against you know certified G's like um, Tugogov. Well now you have me nervous you know now I'm the nervous one like <laughs> because you're absolutely right um I mean, these, these guys from Dagestan and then hang out with Khabib, they're just like really on a whole nother level. You know what I mean? Even in, 100%. Even in loss, they, they go down in battle. Do you know what I mean? Like they, they, train, mm. they train differently from the Americans and other folks that, you know, the UK, of course, and they train differently from folks and their mindset is different. You know, their traditions, their values, everything is different about them. So they're they're really really focused and a lot of them are very very talented and look who they train with Khabib you know so he's definitely got his hands full but he's in the UFC for a reason and you don't get easy fights so you know he's gonna have to step it up and we and like I said I'm gonna say it again it's the fight game you never know what's gonna happen you know exactly exactly I look forward to this as well no. it's a lot of them you know yeah, and apparently that's that's the curtain jerker um, just before the main event, or sorry, main card. And speaking nice. of the main card, um, kicking off the main card is Marbek um, um, Tasanov uh, versus Carlos Diego Ferreira. I'm going to just come out and say this. I really do believe that this main card um, is predominantly made up of people who are essentially showcasing um, the best of, you know, Russian talent. Um, Absolutely. And I really do feel it's kind of like tailored towards the audience who are going to be in attendance. And um, I, I really do feel that this is going to be, you know, a walk in the park for Marbek Kasanov to, um, to actually uh, take on Carlos Diego Ferreira. I think so, too. I think we agree on so we're starting to agree already early in the show. But yes, I think um, Marabek is going to run through this guy. And I, I Totally agree. I'm going to piggyback off your words. This is a showcase for Russian MMA. And it's quite obvious by all these matchups. Because being in Abu Dhabi is almost like being home, you know? It's, it's almost a home advantage. They, they are going to be uh, pro-Russia in this crowd. And it, it should be a lot of fun. But um, on board, I would say that um, he's going to have his way with Diego. And I think he wins this easily. Maybe, I don't know about knockout. or I mean, he can do it. And he's well-rounded, so... It can be a knockout, yeah. it can be a submission. And Diego's going to put up a hell of a fight, I think. But either way, Marabek is getting it done, you know? 100%. Yeah. I mean, similarly, the matchup between Curtis Blades and Shamil Abudakimov. Mm -hmm. um, I see, you know, Shamil coming again away with a victory. You only have to look at the records. Now, I know records are to, for DJs, but uh, Shamil was coming in with 24-0. Um, and Curtis Blades is 11-2-0. And, oh. and I just think, again, it's a, it's a showcase. So I'm going with Shamil. Again, um, when you look at Islam Makachev and uh, Davi Ramos, I've got a... I, I, actually, <laughs> skirt, skirt, skirt. <laughs> I didn't ask you. Hold up. Curtis Blades. Right. <laughs> You're rolling. I'm, and I'm sitting here over here listening. I'm like, uh-huh, uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad you caught it. I was like, speak on, brother. I'm with you. Um, yeah. 
I'm going to differ with you on Curtis Blades and Shamil. I think Curtis has his way with him. I I know that his record um, twenty and four, but I, I'm going to I'm going to contradict you on this one. And I think Curtis uses his wrestling. I think he's got the momentum with him right now. And I'll be honest too. I don't know too much about Shamil, so this is a little bit of bias on my part. But I think mm-hmm. I think Curtis gets it done, and Curtis is in that um, groove right now. He wants that title shot. He wants his name in the mix. And I'm going to put my money on Curtis Blades. And um, I like his wrestling. I think it's pretty um, legit. Okay. Um, Islam Makachev and Davi Ramos. I'm, I'm going for Islam Makachev only again because, uh, you know, the, the guy is a certified killer. So I'm, I'm going with him only because, of you know, in terms of caliber when you compare him to Davi Ramos. Oh, um, same. And and again, they're showcasing Russian athletes. And let's just hope like this doesn't backfire and the Russian athletes just have an off night. Because, you know, the UFC does do that. They'll put a whole card in like Brazil or somebody's backyard and then like the whole country loses. So let's hope this doesn't happen. But I'm with you on that. I think um, Islam takes it. You know, I think it's going to be a fun fight. But mm. same as before, I think he can. He he's aggressive, comes forward. He's nasty. You know what I mean. So I'm gonna put my money on him, and I think he takes it. It's a Russian showcase. I look forward to it, though. I'm excited about this Russian showcase. I think these guys are built for war, and I'm like, I know a lot of people don't like this card or they're not familiar with these folks, but I think after this fight, some people are. They're gonna they're gonna have some people on their radar, and I think that's pretty cool. But I'm going with Islam officially. Okay, and breaking up the Russian showcase is Edson Barboza and Paul Felder. I'm definitely picking Paul Felder. I mean, the Welsh, or sorry, the Irish Dragon is incredible, um, incredible, well, incredibly well-rounded. And I feel as though, you know, Edson Barboza of late, um, don't get me wrong, striking, impeccable striking in, in terms of uh, skill set. Uh, a ferocious athlete, but mm-hmm. I don't know. I, I've just got Paul Felder in this. I, 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 I just I fancy Paul Felder only because you know the guy, um, his his pressure tactics, his come forward yes. style. Mm-hmm. I, I'll, I'll get behind that all day. Yeah, um, well, I'll, I'll get right behind you. I'm um, also picking Paul Felder, and the reason why I'm picking him is because I'm seeing um, improved improvements in Paul Felder. I'm seeing a more patient fighter. I'm seeing somebody that is sticking to a game plan. I'm, sti- you know what I mean, like, and I like the fact that I think that he's going to pressure Edson Barbosa. Why? Because Edson Barbosa, like you said, is a great athlete. He is a dangerous kicker. We all know that his timing is impeccable and he hits really hard. Here's the problem with Edson: is that he, if you get him on his back foot, if you get him backwards, if you get him backpedaling, he doesn't know what to do. So if you can just clinch him up, put him against the cage, and take him down, kind of like what Khabib did, I think there's a recipe for beating him. And I always frown upon fighters that kind of have like a, 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 a recipe to be beaten. And I think if Paul Felder concentrates on that and he pushes, him, pushes Edson against the cage and keeps him backpedaling, he's going to win. And I think Paul is going to be able to do that with the improvements that he's made, the patience that he's showing. And Edson, I don't really see any improvements. I see the same Edson, although the same Edson is dope as shit. You know what I mean? But I'm not seeing him, you know, stop takedowns as much or that recipe still exists. But he's so dangerous. And I think Paul is going to pull it off. And I hope he does. You know, I like to see Paul keep improving and get, you know, even higher in the mix of his division. And finally, Khabib Megamedov versus... Dustin Poirier. Now, I'm going to just pause just for 10 seconds mm-hmm. and just drop a bomb on you. Uh-oh. Let me, let me sit We've down. Every, we, we have seen everybody and their efforts in terms of the push-up challenge and getting ready for it. But you know what, G? What's that? We haven't seen yours. <laughs> so you know what I'm going to propose now? We are both going to kick off the push-up challenge and we're going to start with Khabib Namagamado okay. versus Dustin Poirier. You're going to pick who you feel is going to win, and I'm going to pick who uh, I feel is going to win. And um, what if we pick the same person? Well, well, we're just about to find out. <laughs> um, we're just about to gonna, gonna, gonna All right, find let's out. Let's do it. I accept your challenge. 
I can, you know. Okay, so, so I, I put it to you. Um, ladies first, oh. who do you feel is going to be the victor? Oh, such a gentleman, and thank you, because I won't be so kind when you have to do push-ups. Um, <laughs> I am going with um, the eagle, the man. Um, one of the, the, the best lightweight in the world to me right now. That's Khabib. I don't think anybody has figured him out. I think that Khabib is going to Khabib him, which means he's going to maul him. I think that Khabib is going to do what he always does. He's going to push Dustin against the cage. He's going to take him up, take him down, and he's going to wrap his legs up, and he's going to pummel him. And then I think later in the rounds, he's going to slow down a bit. But I think by that time, Dustin is going to be befuddled by the threats of a takedown like what Khabib did to Connor, and it's going to interrupt his flow. And that's what I'm, you know, that's what I'm thinking is going to happen. I could be wrong because with that being said, if Khabib slows down and Dustin doesn't, he hits hard and he could knock Khabib out. So that's like, I think, Dustin's path to victory. But my money is on Khabib. He's going to maul him and he's going to slow down. But by that time, Dustin's not going to be able to handle. Is he going to take me down? Is he slowing down? Is it this and that? And Khabib's going to win. Who you, you know, that's why I asked you to go first, because I didn't want there to be any uh, ambiguity as to who chose what. Mm-hmm. I had it in my head that, you know, just like everybody else is actually predicting, you know, yourself included, mm-hmm. that Khabib was going to walk away with victory. Think about it. Now, I am definitely uh, quite setting my mind. Even before we, um, uh, well, even before I laid down the gauntlet just a while ago in terms of the uh, push-up <laughs> challenge, I'm going with Dustin Poirier for the upset. I'm going Why? for Dustin Poirier for this reason. His striking, I think, will cause Khabib the Magomedov problems. Now, you say probably in your head uh, is probably um, the, the question, but he's dealt with strikers in the past. Look at the trajectory of Dustin Poirier as a fighter. And a lot of people are probably pointing to the fact that, you know, his recent outings, um, you know, really and truly, you cannot deny have been phenomenal. But not only that, the Dustin Poirier, who I remember of old, who faced Conor McGregor, is not the Dustin Poirier who we are looking at now. They are two different people and we saw that change up in terms of style we saw that change up in terms of caliber when he faced Max Holloway and that's what has me pretty certain that he's going to be upsetting the upper car here he's going to be stealing victory because of the precision striking because of the takedown defense that he's got but I just feel as though the pressure is all on Khabib his dad is going to be in attendance. And that is, you know, someone obviously who he looks up to, someone who he want to impress. The crowd, obviously, are going to be behind him. I know, you know, but a lot of people listening to this are probably thinking, well, what's the crowd got to do with anything? I mean, when they are actually in the cage, the crowd can't actually help them. I'm talking about build-up. I'm talking about pressure. I'm talking about expectations. Right. There is none of this I, on Justin, uh, Dustin Poirier. Do you think, though, that um, Khabib handles pressure well? I mean, Khabib was grossly offended by Connor, and the only time he lost it was after he choked Connor out and jumped the cage. But he maintained his game plan. He wanted to toy with Connor. He controlled the fuck out of Connor, and Connor is an elite lightweight. So I don't and, think his dad being in the crowd or, or him being at like almost home turf has anything to do with his mental focus or what he plans to do. He just seems like a scary dude, and. I don't know. You can't break him. I mean, Connor said some horrific things and it did not do anything. And, and that's why, and that's why, G, you are such a true pro. You have basically set up the final reason and underlining a point for me. Go ahead. Look how unflappable he looked on the face of it, in the build-up. That disrespect that he was showing, mm-hmm. shuck it off. The level of insults, the level of poking of the bear um, that we saw shook it off. Mm-hmm. Underneath that cool, calm exterior, there was obviously rage. There was obviously a build-up to a level where as soon as, you know, the pressure was off, He over. lost it, yeah. So, so, so he was 
definitely feeling the pressure, but he masks it very, very well, just like he masks, you know, um, the fact that he was hurt. Um, in the fights where he has actually um, taken shots to the face, remember, you know, Khabib striking isn't the best. No. <laughs> so Improved, but not the, the best, feet. yes. Improved, yeah. yeah. But, 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 but by, by no means is it on the level of Dustin Poirier. That's why I'm glad that you mentioned about, you know, um, him actually keeping it together because you could see the rage in the way that it actually oh, spilled out that he was struggling yeah. to keep that together. And there is a path to victory for Dustin. I'm not, you know, like when you break down the fight, he can win. It's not one of these fights where I'm like, no, it's not happening. You know what I mean? Like Dustin can win. Dustin cardio is on point. Khabib gets tired. You know what I mean? And But he just knows how to be tired. He knows how to, he knows when to slow down and he knows when to turn it back up. And he knows, you know what I mean? He knows when to start racking up points and taking you back down and going for the submission. He's very smart. But Dustin is the type of dude that doesn't get tired and he hits hard. He's not like a, yeah. a, a knockout artist like a Francis Ngano in that division. No, but he hits hard. He was smacking Max Holloway across that octagon so much. And mm. did you hear actually what Dustin just said recently in MMA media was that if he beats Khabib, he considers himself the best lightweight of all time because of his stellar record, being that he beat Max Holloway. He beat Eddie Alvarez. And arguably, he was beating him in the other fight, you know, when it was a no contest, um, arguably. And then Justin Gaethje, Anthony Pettis, um, Jim Miller. Like, his his resume is sick. You know what I mean? A killer's row. Right. So that to him, that makes him... He thinks like the goat of the lightweight division if he gets by Khabib. I think a goat yeah. is somebody that defends the title almost like an Anderson, Anderson Silva or GSP fashion. I'm, I'm different, but he considers himself the goat if he beats Khabib. How do you feel about that? You agree? It's a nice narrative, Dustin, but come on. Um, let's talk about taking a title first, defending that title, then defending it again. Then we might consider you a goat, but it's not just about taking names. It's about maintaining your position Thank for you. me. Um, As to the be best. To the goat. Yeah. Mm. It's, it's, I'm, I'm noticing a trend on, um, in MMA, especially in the UFC, and I, a lot of times I discuss it on MMA Twitter, and I'm just like, what is happening with the culture of the organization where if you beat a high-level opponent that, you know, was really good, or if, if Dustin beats Khabib, now you're the GOAT, or now Henry beat DJ, so now he's the GOAT, and then he's throwing in his Olympic medal and stuff. I'm like, what's up with, like, the these little, like, the fine print at the bottom now that makes you the GOAT? Like, whatever happened to just, like, you defend your damn um, title over and over and over again, like GSP and Anderson, it almost feels like, is that old school now? Like, if you just beat somebody that's really good, you the best now? Like, I don't subscribe to that. It's, and it's, it's kind of like, annoying. it triggers me a little bit online. As much as I ignore it, I'd be like, oh, God, shut up. You see, I, I think you've underlined a, a point which, you know, doesn't get discussed that often when people discuss the GOAT. What's the criteria? What is the agreed criteria that we are all talking to? Because it seems like, just as you said, a lot of people are handing out this goat title like sweets really interesting <laughs> let's just pump those brakes and you know assess really what what we is are collectively it talking about right what is goat what are we because goat about? to me is greatest of all time not like mm. you dope right now you know what i'm saying like that's to me yeah. that's henry cejudo he's he is the king of two divisions right now when he defends both mm -hmm. those bitches over and over and over again and he cleans out divisions like DJ and, and GSP, yes, we can call people the GOAT. And then some people take the GOAT card back when it comes to John Jones and Anderson Silva, which breaks my heart because Anderson Silva is my favorite fighter in the whole wide world. And in my biased mind, he's still the GOAT whether he was juicing or not. But, you know, people take the... <laughs> no, I'm, like, so biased when it comes to him. Like, the nostalgia that he gives me when I watch him fight. You know what I mean? From back in the day, it's just ridiculous. Yeah. It's just... I'll never forget that. You know what I mean? So, GOAT or not, he's given me experiences that I can't even articulate to you and how I feel about MMA. But people take his card back because of PEDS. And I'm just like, 
oh god is it is your goat status tarnished now because of pets that makes me sad too so it's like we kind of need like a criteria for goats because yeah. it's not just mma twitter you heard dustin said this himself he, i'm the goat if i beat the Khabib. Mm-hmm. Sir, no, you have to defend this belt. Maybe fight Khabib again. Get your Connor loss back. Beat up Tony and then beat up everybody else that comes after them. And then, you know, you get so bored at the top, you resign or you GSP, I need a break. Like, that's a goat, baby. You know? <laughs> it's not because you beat Khabib. And you know what's so funny, Michael? I'm going off on a tangent, but I think even Khabib doesn't subscribe to this because just recently Khabib said, I have to fight Tony Ferguson. And he wants to fight GSP. You can tell that he's like, I got to beat up everybody that thinks they're the best. And he's the champion talking like this. I, I respect his attitude. I like that. That's, that's, that's a goat. When he's like, I done beat up the, the former legend GSP. I beat up Tony. He's on some crazy win streak. I beat up Dustin. And I beat the shit out of Connor. And then he'll defend it a few more times. And then he can get off his throne. I agree with that. So... What's going to be the agreed forfeit for this? Then? Ah, I mean, you call it. I mean, I mean, I guess right now I'm up to like twenty. Okay, twenty it is then. Okay, let's do twenty. I think my challenge against um, Ren is twenty-five, and um, yeah, let's let's do twenty. I'll, I'll upload the video if 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 Dustin knocks out Khabib, I'll do my <laughs> twenty push-ups <laughs> in your honor, and I guess I'll eat twenty push-ups of crow for for you, but. I feel confident. I feel almost like it ain't, it ain't going to happen. So I hope you go to the gym tomorrow and, and start okay. pushing. Uh, well, you, you've seen I've already put in work, so <laughs> I'm almost there. Listen, I'm working. So, I'm just not doing no videos like the rest of y'all, but I'm happy to see them. But I, I am going to do one. I feel bad, like I'm moderating, but I haven't done one yet. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Now, speaking of moderation, um, I'm guessing that you've moderated a few items of listener mail, so it'd be good to oh, yeah, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. take a bunch. Of course, I got some... Three out of the bag? Yeah, yeah, I've got some good ones here, and I actually have one that um, ties into UFC uh, Abu Dhabi. And this is from Man of Mayhem, great guy. Mm-hmm. Um, from U- Yeah, I like him. Yeah, he's I like cool, him right? Lot. Yeah. Um, he, he, he is the guy. Yeah, he's funny, he's polite, and... Um, I like his tweets, so he sent us this. Do you think the UFC screws Tony over and gives the winner of Khabib versus Poirier to Connor? Yes, I do. Mm-hmm. Because the UFC are in the business of making money. I think they have seen, um, just like we all have, a, a slow decline in terms of um, the eyes on the product regardless of who they're putting on. People, you know, let's not make no, no bones about this. You know, people are very much invested in Conor McGregor. Love him or hate him, people are tuning in to watch him either win or to watch him lose. So they want Conor, obviously, to come back. And I think that is what Conor is waiting for. He's looking for the fallout of what actually happens in this matchup. Um, yeah, I'm going to agree with you on that as well. And I think we all know this. I think, like, Connor will get whoever wins that bout, period. And it's just, I'm going to be honest with you, um, I, I'm not a fan of Connor because of his shenanigans outside of the, the um, cage. And I also don't feel like the journeyman is still, a, that's who I fell in love with, and he seems to be gone. But with that being said, the moment he steps into an octagon, I'm locked in and I'm watching because I think he's a really great fighter and he entertains me. However, I don't want to see him fight Khabib. And that's another reason why I'm rooting for Khabib to win because I think it's going to be a, a better fight for Khabib to fight Tony. You know, I'm not really interested in Connor fighting Khabib. And then Conor Poirier, yeah, I mean, they can run it back, but it's not as, like, tantalizing as Khabib versus Tony Ferguson. But I do think that he's going to skip the line and they're going to give it to him because of the fan base, the money he generates, the, you know, yep. the shits and giggles, the noise and the money. Because what is this, an entertainment business? But I hope not. You just never know. Maybe, I mean, Michael, think about it. Conor has to win. And I think not only does he have to win for his career, but for his brand. I think that's why he came out with that apology just recently. I think, like, he realized that his brand was going to take a hit. And if he loses another fight, his brand 
it's not going to look good. So I don't know if he just wants to jump back into Khabib and, and Poirier either, you know. He, I think he should have taken the cowboy fight or something that's more winnable for him. But And then fight, like, the title, you know, for the title. But we'll see how it goes. But he's fighting as soon as this is over with and, and one of them wins. Like, he's he's getting that title shot. So... Oh, definitely. Oh, what else you got? Um, let's see. Let's let's switch to Bellator. This is from Joe Blog seventy four. He's in the push up challenge. And he's a really cool dude. Um, he said, since Scott Coker said Bader is the best heavyweight on the planet, do you think we would? Um, do you think we will start to see cross promotion fights between the UFC, Bellator, and other organizations? One hundred percent no for cross promotion between Bellator and UFC. I think between other promotions, yes, definitely. We've seen it already with Ryzen. But um, just on that statement, let's just remember who's saying this. Um, with all due respect to Scott Coker, he's a promoter. He is there to promote his brand. Right. And, um, you know, saying statements like that is Scott Coker doing his job. So I, I don't see cross-promotion between the UFC and Bellator ever happening. But I do see um, Bellator... Um, cross-promoting with other promotions because, as I say, it's begun already. I agree with you, but sometimes I, I just, I don't know, I never thought the UFC would do trades. Like, when I woke up one morning and I found out that DJ had been traded for Ben Askren, I was like, since when? Like, when did when did the UFC engage in trading fighters? So that kind of gave me a shimmer of hope. But even though it's a shimmer of hope, I, I agree with you. I don't think we'll ever see something like that. But I think that would be so much fun to kind of see, like, um, Ryan Bader versus, like, Stipe or something. Or, you know, it would be so much fun to kind of get some of these cross promotions or Juan Archuleta and, like, Pitbull fighting people in the UFC, Douglas Lima. Like, oh, my God, that would be, like, a dream come true. But I don't think it's going to happen. And I, frank, quite frankly, I don't know why. I'm not a promoter. But, Joe, I'm going to have to say no. And I think, Michael, you don't think so either. Um... Ready for the next one? Last but but yeah, last but by no means least. Here we go. Okay, um, this is probably one of my favorite people on MMA. My favorite guy friends, um, Guy Shook seventy nine. He's also my Twitter lawyer. Um, yeah. yeah, this is the this is the attorney, <laughs> and you're my attorney as well. But um, you are my <laughs> you are my alternate. Guy is the number one. So, Guy Shook said, with Colby donning MAGA hats, Cejudo putting diapers on belts. Nate, well, being Nate, do you think that this anti-hero era is a byproduct of the UFC's lack of star promotion? And do you think it's good or bad for the sport? I, I don't think that it's the UFC that's actually engineering these uh, personalities. They're looking at ways in which they can actually expand their brands. Their brands as fighters is something which they are in sole charge of. No one's there dictating the pace and in terms of you know, telling them what to do. So I think the anti-hero is a route in which people have actually decided to go because, you know, controversy sells, controversy actually gets people talking. And especially when you look at, you know, the lengths to which, you know, that whole diaper thing, as much as people hate it, as much as people cringe, had people talking. So when you think about it, um, I really do feel it's got nothing to do with the lack of star power. I think it's just, you know, fighters themselves finally realising we have to do something different in order to set ourselves uh, out from the pack and uh, get what we want based on our popularity in one way in which you actually um, deal with popularity, expand popularity, fan the flames of popularity is actually do something which other people aren't doing. Yeah, um, I agree. I don't think it's lack of star power. I just think that self-promotion is huge because the UFC is not doing it. Do you know what I mean? Like, it is totally your responsibility to sell pay-per-view seats. And I do agree that people are talking. I'm one of them. Like, Henry Cejudo just, like, that cringe stuff triggers me as well. And my followers, I always joke about it. Like, I even said that, you know, I probably need to talk to my therapist about this. Like, it drives me crazy. But mm -hmm. you also have to remember, people are talking, but sometimes these folks are not buying seats, though. We're just talking about it on MMA Twitter. Like, for instance, Colby, um, he doesn't sell because of his fighting style like you know some of the gates when he's the main event like UFC Newark was pretty low um people outside of hardcores are not really familiar with Sahiro even though he's screaming and yelling and coming out of women's bathrooms so I think like they are doing that to sell seats to 
they need that star power. And like you said, you can barter with it when it's time to negotiate. If you sell seats like Connor, you can you can lose a fight and then fight for the title and sit on your butt and tweet like Zeus. You know what I mean? Like you can do stuff like that when you sell. And I think they see fighters doing that. And they self-promote, self-promote, self-promote. As far as do I think it's good or bad for the sport? Um, I think it's good when it's pulled off well. You know, when, when somebody is a heel, but it's, you know, it's selling and not just triggering or annoying or funny to people that just find it humorous. If it sells and it's getting people to buy seats, I think it's good. But I do think sometimes it's bad for the sport because some people kind of copy people's style like Connor and it kind of gets corny. But ultimately, people are watching and enjoying this. So, you know, I'm not going to complain too much. Exactly. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, I'm not going to complain too much because the sport is thriving and I need it to thrive so that I can watch it every Saturday. You know what I mean? So, yeah, I'm not going to complain 100%. too much. Right. And I've, I've learned to just control myself, too, as far as being triggered and, and popping off because I see somebody putting a diaper on a belt. Like, come on, Michael. <laughs> like, yeah. Didn't one of them have like fake poop in it too or something? I, I turned that shit off yeah. so quick. I was like, nah, this, this is <laughs> Michael, I ain't even going to front. I was like, this shit ain't for me. I turned it off. I said, nah, I'm good. I'm good. <laughs> okay. Well, that wraps up this episode of The Wocast. As usual, you can find me on Twitter at MikeWoTV. And you can find G at... G from WoTV. Now, if there are any subjects at which we've started in terms of debates, discussion points, um, items which you want to um, continue talking to us about on Twitter. Until then, make some trouble. Always. See you later,